Good morning, everyone. Welcome to this part of the service. <clears throat> Greet you all in the name of Jesus, and I trust that you've had a good week and, and uh, are here to, to start another good week. <clears throat> What is truth? Are you sure? How do you know? Okay. That might be true for Sam, but maybe not for me. This morning, we'd like to uh, look at a few things like that. Um, truth is in our society something that is becoming more and more ambiguous Sam says that he has the truth but I might be a Muslim or a Hindu and I have the truth and it really doesn't matter if my truth is different than your truth. Sam or Henry points us to scripture and yet how do we know that scripture is true? So I'd like to look at a few things this morning concerning that. The outline this morning is like to look at how our culture has has the condition that they have allowed themselves to 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 be in concerning truth the condition of moralism in our culture and like to look at a few things concerning how can we really know truth is there actually is there really something as an absolute truth And then, of course, most of us here, I believe, all of us believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. We're going we're gonna to look at that. And then finally, I'd like to look at, I'd like to come back and look at how we present Jesus, the truth. How do we present that to a culture where truth is ambiguous? According to a recent study by the Barna Research Group, this was done in, in May of this year, 80% of Americans are concerned with the moral condition of our country. 80% of people in the United States believe that the moral condition of people is declining. There's a problem. However, of those same people, only 57%, 57% believe that truth is relative. So more than half the people believe that truth is ambiguous. Truth is not the same necessarily for you or for me or necessarily always the same in this situation or that situation or maybe it is different in 2016 than it was 100 years ago. Truth is it's relative to the person in the situation. So over half the people in America 
believe that we cannot, we cannot know an absolute truth. What's even more alarming is that 74% of millennials believe that truth is relative. Millennials are the generation that was born approximately between 1984 to about the year uh, 2000, 2002. So it's the people that are 30 to 15. Three quarters of those people today believe that you cannot know an absolute truth. You might have been a part of a conversation. It seems we hear this more and more. And it's because of what people believe. We hear statements like, that's true for you, but not for me. Or something like, well, all truth is relative. No one, no one, has, no one has a handle on, on the absolute truth, you know. All religions are fine. Or we hear this, truth is relative to one's culture. Maybe uh, what, is, what is true for my experience is not the same for someone in another culture. Or it seems we hear this quite a bit too. Maybe even more somewhat in our own circles. We hear, well, who are you to judge? interesting thing about that statement, or actually most of these statements, is if you turn it on itself, it negates itself. Who are you to say that, one, that your religion is right and all others are wrong? And why are you being so intolerant of someone else's beliefs? That's often something that... that especially conservative Christians, are, are accused of, of being intolerant. <clears throat> so, most people today agree that there is a problem. However, most people also believe that truth is relative. And so I'd like to look at, I'd like to look at that this morning and, and see if... Uh, maybe there is some connection with the moral condition of our country and how we view truth. This condition is something that is, it, typically we would call it relativis, relativism, meaning that truth is different things for different people or different times and different places. This is certainly not something new. If we just need we just need to look at John chapter and I don't have that on the PowerPoint here, but John chapter 18 where where Jesus is in front of Pilate and Pilate says that uh, Pilate comes I'll just read a few verses here. Then Pilate entered the Praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, 
Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you con this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king? Jesus answered, You rightly say that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And we all know what Pilate did after that. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault. And if we think a little bit about Pilate, I can imagine Pilate saying that in a way, in, in a somewhat of a, it says that he, after that he turned and went, again, went out again to the Jews. He, he, he probably, he's, he's talking to Jesus and Jesus says that, that uh, he is the truth. And, and Pilate kind of turns on his heel and says, what is truth? Whatever. Who has the truth? In Pilate's culture, he, he was, truth was not something that he would have believed in a, in, a, in a relative truth. It was ambiguous. So I'd like to look at several principles about truth outside of Scripture. And one of the reasons I want to do that this morning is because if, if, you have, if you're engaged in conversation with someone that does not believe in an absolute truth, simply taking your scripture and, and pointing him to, to scripture is not an adequate answer because he is going to say that scripture is true for you, but I, I, it's not necessarily true for me. And there's, there's, there's plenty of ways, fairly simple ways actually, to, to show someone that there is something like an absolute truth without ever going to Scripture. Obviously, as we will do here, the goal is to get someone to Scripture. So the first one we want to look at is the principle of reality. The principle of reality simply states that truth is really there and is really knowable. There really is something. There is something that we can know. And creation is, is a part of this reality. There is something. How did we get here? We are, we are here. To, there is a reality that is not ambiguous. That is truth. The other thing is, if you turn the principle of relativism, in other words, if you say that there is no absolute truth, everything is relative, I would ask you, well, is that a true statement? Because, you see, it's a circular argument. It defeats itself. It says, truth is relative, well, your truth about truth is being relative, it's relative, so it doesn't apply to me. 
See how that works? It defeats itself. So, so it's fairly easy to, to show that there is absolute truth. I'd like to look at a. I'd like to look at a uh, an aspect of truth that is important for us to understand if we're going to show someone an absolute truth, and that is simply it's the there is the description of truth and there is the substance of truth, and an example of that. <coughs> Is well. In, in order to understand that, we'll we'll use the first and second thing model. Uh, the description of truth. An example of that might simply be: I would say that the grass is green, and so that's a true statement. But that is not that is not the essence of the truth or the substance. That's out there in the lawn. The the green the grass is green. <coughs> or in the same way, I can say that. You know, I, I, I know Donald Trump. I know of him. I, but I don't really know him. I don't have a relationship with him. And so there's the description of what is, and then there is what is. And, and this, this will be important a little later on, but I'd like to now... Like to look at uh, like to look at scripture and just simply see that in the beginning God created heaven and earth. Of course, we all believe that here, but one of the one of the best arguments outside of scripture. To, to, to prove that there is an absolute truth is simply the argument of, of science has proved that creation happened at one time, at, at a point in history. At one, po- at one point, there was nothing, and then there was something. Even, even, even agnostic scientists admit that scientific evidence proves that the creation story is true. Let's consider the, a quote here from, uh, this is a quote from an article by Frank Turek, and he, he quotes a, a Dr. Robert Jastro, who until his recent death was the director of Mount Wilson Observatory, once led by Edwin Hubble, He authored a book called God and the Astronomers. Despite revealing in the first line of chapter 1 that he was personally agnostic about religious matters, he writes this. This is Dr. Robert Jastrow. He writes this. Now we see how the astronomical evidence leads to a biblical view of of the origin of the world. The details differ, but the essential elements in the astronomical and biblical accounts of Genesis are the same. The chain of events leading to a man 
commenced suddenly and sharply at a definite moment in time in a flash of light and energy. Later on, in an interview about the book, he goes on to say this, Astronomers now find they have painted themselves into a corner because they have proven by their own methods that the world began abruptly in an act of creation to which you can trace the seed of every star, every planet, every living thing in this cosmos and on the earth. And they have found that all this happened as a product of forces they cannot hope to discover. That there are what I or anyone would call supernatural forces at work is now, I think, a scientifically proven fact. So here we have an, an unbeliever, a, a scientist saying that what I have found in my scientific studies is, is saying that the creation story in, in Genesis is, is an accurate account. <coughs> There's also, we won't go through it this morning, but there is lots of uh, so so if we if we prove that the that the creation story is true scientifically, then it would lead us to think that the rest of Scripture is at least plausible. We should, if you're an agnostic, you should at least consider that the rest of Scripture is true. <coughs> There's also numerous other extra-biblical sources that corroborate the New Testament. The New Testament, in fact, the New Testament story is one of the, one of the most well-documented events in history outside of, of, the, of, of Scripture. There are no other events in history that have so many sources outside of scripture to to prove that the story of the new testament is is true So if we can if we can see that there there is an absolute truth and scripture is at least plausible and we can we could spend more time on that and prove that the New Testament the gospel accounts are true I'd like to now look at some of the scriptures in the New Testament to see to to get to what is what is truth The Gospel of John, in chapter 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So here we have John is saying, he's giving us a description, truth, of, he's giving us truth as a description about 
truth as a substance. We'll skip a few verses. Jump down to verse 11. He, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as, many as have, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believed in his name. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, and the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So here now in, in verse 14, we have a description. We, we, we see truth as, as substance. The actual, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is, is, is the truth. John bore witness of him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So John is he's giving us truth, description truth pointing towards truth as substance, Jesus Christ. We see that again a little later on in John. Chapter 14, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know that way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. Here Jesus himself states that he is truth in, 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 in the first, in substance truth. He is, he is what is. I'd like to also look at Colossians states that as well. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. So here we have truth as, as description pointing towards the substance. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of Jesus. So, what we're seeing here is that he invites us to know him, to experience, to experience truth, not just to understand the description truth, but to experience Jesus as, as to, to know him. 
we have been created by a creator that longs to have us experience him. To know about him, description, by knowing him. Substance. So I'd like to come back to how then, how, how does this help us? How do we relate to someone who might believe that truth is relative? To do that, I'd like to look at the woman at the well, at, at Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. You can turn there in your Bibles if you want. I don't have it on the PowerPoint here, but we're going to look at that. We're going to make some observations on how he interacted with, with this woman. Now, if you remember, Jesus was in, in Judea, and he wanted to travel up to Galilee, and Samaria lay in between. The Jews typically had, had two ways of getting there. And both ways went around Samaria because the Jews and the Samaritans were at odds with each other. So one way they would they would go over close to the Jordan River and, and, and go up that way or they would go out to the Mediterranean Sea and, and go up that way. There was also a route through Samaria, which is the route that Jesus took. So what we see is that Jesus intentionally traveled to a route to put himself in a position to meet someone like this woman. He did not avoid the encounter. The second thing we see is that he stopped at a well, which obviously would have probably been a likely place to, to meet someone. When the woman came, he immediately placed himself on her level by asking for a drink. He, he opened a conversation and, and admitted that he needed something from her. When she expressed surprise at this, he went on to offer living waters, a metaphor from the Old Testament about himself. So he... In, in the conversation, he, he referenced the Old Testament to, to introduce himself or to, to maybe get her to, get her to think, who is this man? She, however, didn't recognize it in verse 15. So Jesus changes the subject. In verse 16, and he, he seems like he confronts her spiritual condition. He says, well, go call your husband. He, he, you know, and so he, he's probing a little deeper. When she changes the subject again, in verse 19, she says that she perceives that he is a prophet, Jesus met her there. He, 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 in verse 21, 
He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Again, Jesus was, was, even though she changes the subject, he, he, he still keeps on, in a gentle way, he keeps on probing her spiritual condition. Or, or maybe probing isn't the right word, but he keeps on, he keeps on making himself available. He keeps on making references to himself. Verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in truth and spirit. And then when she says in verse 25, the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, I will tell us all things. He will tell us all things. And then verse 26, Jesus reveals himself. And we know what happened after that. So it, what I'd like to see here is, is simply that Jesus, first of all, met her on, on her own turf. Met her in her own, he met her, at the well where she was familiar on her own playground or place of work or wherever that might be. And secondly, he gently kept giving her accurate truth, description truth. He gently kept giving her bits of information that were description, that were truth about himself, the substance truth. The third thing is he did not he did not he did not come out and immediately condemn her sin. He he kept showing her truth which in turn convicted her of her sin. So this morning I trust I'd like to in, in closing, I, I trust that while we haven't, from a, uh, there, there's a lot more that we could look at from an uh, a, uh, apologetic point of view as far as, as looking at what truth is from a philosophical view. Um, but I trust that this morning uh, we know truth, the substance truth and as we there's there's several things I'd like to leave with you as we as we leave here first one is simply I like for us each of us to experience the truth I trust that most of you have but if there is anyone that has not 
I would like to give you that invitation ex- to, to experience Jesus. The second thing is I'd like for us to recognize that we live in a culture where truth is relative. We live in a time where, where, where people will question everything, where, where people will, where truth is ambiguous and you simply, you can't hardly, you can't hardly, you, the days of just simply saying, well, the Bible says so is our, our past. Thirdly, I'd like for us to, to be equipped to share truth, description truth, to, to share accurate descriptions about truth, the substance truth, to give, to, to give accurate, to, to share accurately what, who Jesus is and what he will do in, in, in my life and, and your life. That's all I have. I trust that you have, I trust that as we leave here, each of us will seek to understand truth and each of us will seek to, as we, as we relate to those around us, that we can, that we can relate to them in a way that points them to Jesus. So, I'm going to pray, and then, Laverne, I'll turn the time back to you. Father, thank you so much for, for being here with us. Lord, I pray that, that you would, that we could experience you, Father. I pray that as we relate to those around us, Father, that we could relate to them in a way that shows them accurate descriptions of you, Lord, that they might be able to to seek your face, Father. I pray that your grace and love would be evident in our lives. Father, you've taught us, you've shown us that how we relate to each other and how we relate to others around us, Father, is that's, that's a, a witness, Father, for you. And we pray that, that we would be that witness for you, an accurate description, Lord, of who you are. Just pray in Jesus' name, amen. Brother Jake for sharing and uh, all the time spent preparing. I had to think is there uh, any reason why the world around us is not free? Because Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, shall make you free. And so uh, Thanks, Jake, for sharing this. To let's go out and uh, um, share a good, solid description of the truth. Because that's what's going to set them free. And uh, that's what the world needs.
And uh, let's remember, you know, we were brought up taught of the truth. And these children are growing up being taught that truth is relative. You really don't, can't know the truth. It's hard to convince them just as it is hard for them to convince us. You know, the, there's two sides of that coin. And uh, if we can understand them like Jesus did, to understand what, what they're going through, then we'll understand how to present it to them. And so yeah, thanks, Jake. I'll open it up. Anyone else have anything to share or testimony? Or Wayne? Uh, thanks, Jake, for the message. Um, as I was listening to that, I uh, brought me back to a study that I'm continually on. I know many of you probably heard it already, that I've been on what the part of the Trinity is called the Holy Spirit and what that entails. 